So the Braves will go from Johnson to hand and the batter will be Master Boney. That's probably a good thing Jeff Francoeur is in the other booth. Baseball fans, hello, welcome to the show that's called Put Me in Coach. Um, my name is Matt Coggins. And my name is Carl Mizell. And for the second consecutive week, we are not alone. <laughs> Makes it sound like there's somebody in the room with us. The truth is out there. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we're not. We have a guest once again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the, t- and the guest has revealed himself. Uh, for 13 years, he was a journalist at WBUR. Uh, Boston University's uh, NPR affiliate. Uh, and throughout all that time, he was performing as a circus performer, which is where he kind of grew up. And he has finally branched out, or not really branched out, but sort of struck out on his own. He's left the journalism behind, and he is now uh, touring the country and maybe coming to a Renaissance fair near you. Please welcome Jacques Zewipper, better known as Jack Lepiars. Jack Lepiars, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to, to, to talk some baseball. I was about to say watch some baseball, play some baseball. I mean, I'm excited to do any of those things at any any given point. Yeah, you are. You have a, a, a rather sizable social media following. And one of the, the things I love about it is that you don't just focus on the thing that you are known for, but uh, you you are very, very big on showing swing progress. And I'm not oh, just saying God, this because yeah. you're a friend, uh, but you have a gorgeous swing. Matt, he has a beautiful swing. I've got an all right <laughs> swing. I have a very good swing for an amateur. I have a garbage swing for anyone at any kind of pro level. Yeah. Beats but, me but, striking out in the batting cage. So. <laughs> you know, we've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> Uh, we've all almost torn a labrum swinging and missing at 55 miles an hour. Uh, Listen, the first, first swings of the year at speed in the batting cage are always just, just like I swing under everything. I'm lucky if I foul it straight back. Um, I, every spring I go through this process of, I forget how to hit speed, uh, just cause I've been taking, you know, I've been working on swing mechanics all winter. And then I see, you know, just a 70, 80 mile an hour fastball, which should be, you know, meatball down the middle. And the first 10 to 15 swings, just nothing, whiffing completely. Yep. I'm, uh, I, I, I am a, early in the season, I'm a Willie Mays Hayes. Yeah. Uh, kind of everything goes straight up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Just, I, I almost instinctively drop and do push-ups. Uh, yeah. I don't. Uh, but yeah, that I, I, the beginning of the season, there's always that sort of like that first pitch goes by and you just do that head nod like, okay, all right, all right. All right. But inside you're pissing yourself. <laughs> we'll, we'll remember how to hit the fastball five games into the season. Exactly. So you, you grew up in the circus. Yeah. And what I know, I, I know your background because I've known you for quite a long time. But for, for our listeners at home, can you kind of give us, I assume you've explained this rather succinctly many, many times. Can you kind of give us the, yeah. uh, the TLDR version of how you went from growing up in the circus to being a full time performer now? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in the circus. I was performing with my dad at Renaissance Fairs as young as six years old. And um, when I went to college, I, I went to Emerson College in Boston for broadcasting. And I was I had this moment of like, all right, I can go scoop ice cream for eight bucks an hour, or I can just try and go do street performing because you know I had, I had done performing growing up. I had all these circus skills. Um, so I just kind of just took an adapted version of my dad's show and just kind of took that on the street. And over time, it 
kind of made it my own, changed things, added new routines, and then started doing Renaissance fairs when I was 20. And I realized, I was like, well, you know, this is even, even as I work towards a career in radio, this is a great way to make a little extra, extra income on the side, nice little side hustle. So I kept at it. I did about 13 weekends a year, um, all through, you know, my 20s and then my early 30s. And then in 2021, had this blow up on TikTok. And suddenly I was like, all right, well, uh, I guess, I guess we can make a lot more money doing this. And uh, it's work that I enjoy more than going to an office. So that's, that's what we're doing. I uh, quit the job in February and now here we are. And I, I have been singing your praises. I've been telling you how just so goddamn proud I am of oh, you, you. For, for doing this. Uh, was there a mo has there been any moments where you've had sort of imposter syndrome where you're like, uh, I don't, I don't, did I make the right choice? Or have um, you, has it, has it, have you been fortunate to just be like, nope, I did it. I'm on the right path. This was the thing I was supposed to do. No, I spent most of 2022 basically building this up so, or building up this side of my, my life and my business so that it would not be a scary move. Um, and it, you know, basically I quit my job February 7th and went on the road four weeks later. Um, and the, uh, show down in Florida, I did the Florida Renaissance festival in March, um, ended up being my lowest paying job of the year. And I, uh, you know, I looked at the money from that and I said, okay, we're fine. Even, even if, if this is as good as it gets, you know, this is, this is fine. Um, as far as imposter syndrome, I, I don't deal with that. I'm fortunate, I think, not to deal with that in any, I think, really anxious way. Um, I think the way that I have approached it, because I've been doing this for so long, and I've I've had the benefit to work with so many many different performers and see so many different performers, is I've never thought that I was the best performer, or you know I'm the funniest or the most talented. I know I'm not the most talented. Like I, I joke with people. People talk about my being on America's Got Talent, and I joke with them. I'm like I wasn't even the best whip cracker there that day. <laughs> Because I was there, I was there with Adam Winrich, and okay, Adam Winrich was there, and he's you know thirty, I think thirty three world records. He just he just reminded me of the number the other day. Um, so I know that I'm not the most talented. I know I'm not the most skilled. Uh, I'm certainly not the funniest person in the world. Um, but I found something that tickles that lizard brain that has made me go viral, and that has allowed me to to have success. So and I, I, and I'm comfortable with that. You know, I I want to try and use my success to help my friends, um, and I've tried to do that where I can. Um, so I think that helps me kind of keep away from the more anxiety ridden side of imposter syndrome where it's like, oh, everyone's better than me. I'm no good. I don't feel that way. Um, but there, you know, there are times when I'm like, you know, this person deserves this spotlight more. So I try to, you know, say like, okay, if I'm going to do a show, maybe I can bring them in and do this show with them or, or, you know, find a way to spread the, 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 the good fortune I'd had around. Now, you mentioned Adam Winrich, who has 33 Guinness records. You have a couple yourself, correct? I got four. Well, I you set four. four. I have one still. Because I, I, I set, I broke one three times. Uh, Adam and I actually went back and forth on that one. Um, and then I had another one, but that, that one got broke, I think, within the year. And oh, wow. I was going to go back and break it, but then I was like, man, I don't feel like training for another <laughs> world record. This it's, it's a lot of work. Well, I was I was going to say he may have thirty three world records, but you're the first Guinness World Record on America's premier baseball podcast, hosted by America's favorite baseball uncles. There we go. Let's um, go. So really, the only end, baseball podcast. Yeah, I, I, Matt, I, I, I've Jack and I have been commiserating and catching up here. Why don't you talk to my friend here? <laughs> well, Jack, I, I mean, this is the first time we're meeting as as we're on air here, um, and I. I 
you're only a, really our third guest, but I do like to ask all of our guests, you know, what is your history with baseball? How did you come to the sport and 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 what brings you into this into this world? I so I I mean I grew up playing baseball like you know any any good red blooded American boy. <laughs> uh, so I played baseball uh, age six, I think, starting with t-ball all the way through junior year of high school. Um, and I was not good. Um, the reason I didn't play senior year of high school was because uh, my high school had a rule. Every senior was on varsity. And I was not good enough to be on varsity. I knew I wasn't good enough to be on varsity. I knew I was just going to ride the bench all year. So I was like, what's what's the point? Um, so I didn't play in high school. I thought about trying to walk on at Emerson, which is not known for its sports prowess. And so like, I was like, I might have a chance. Um, but I, I did not do that. I kind of took a break. I started playing slow pitch softball in my early twenties once I got out of college. Um, and then one night kind of on a whim, uh, I put my name into the player pool for, uh, the, the 28 and older men's baseball league in Boston. And, um, I guess a couple of teams were like, all right, well, he's young enough. Let's, let's, let's give it a shot. I think I was 29 at the time. Um, Ended up trying out for two teams. They both wanted me. I went for the one where I figured I would actually play. And um, that has been where I have been now for six years playing with that team um, in the Boston Men's Baseball League with, you know, varying rates of success up, you know, from hitting 167, striking out 50% of the time my first season uh, back in the league to I had one season where I hit for the Triple Crown. And that was that was a nice one. Yeah, I hit way above my level that year. (laughs) You could say you're the Miguel Cabrera of the Boston. For, the, for I was yeah for that for that one season <laughs> I was I was the Miguel Cabrera and then I think I hit 280 the next season. Ted Williams, no Carl Yastrzemski. I always I always confuse those two yeah. with, with the in terms of the triple crown. Carl yeah, Yastrzemski yeah. and Jack Lepiars. My dad would be happy to say that. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I think sure Yaz was his favorite player back. I'm sure there. he would. And now I, I I wanted I I recently discovered something. This is apropos of of nothing that we talked about. But you did mention that you are a uh, an, an, an alum of Emerson College in Boston. And I recently discovered that Henry Winkler is also. Yes. There yes. are a lot of. Famous the alumni, Fonds? the Fonds. But I was just looking at the list of notable alumni at Emerson College, and you would slot in alphabetically by last name between Dennis Leary, yes, and Jay Leno. Uh, funny fun fact. Uh, I was actually at Emerson at the same time as Dennis Leary's son. Uh, yeah, and it was it was actually this this really funny moment. I remember I was at a party somewhere, and he was there, and we just got start we just started talking because his name is also Jack, um, and because you know Jack Leary, we're both Jack L's, uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like like in a in a teasing way, I'm like, there can only be one Jack L at this school. Um, and then it was later, I was like, oh shit, wait, hang on. That's, it, it, it took that, you, that's that. Yeah. That's it that took guy. you a second. I, I, when I, I, my, my fun story about that is when I lived in Boston 26 years ago, I went on a date, uh, with a young woman whose last name was Vila. It was, uh, the daughter of Bob Vila. <laughs> I don't know who Bob Vila is. Oh, he was a host. There used to be a show. It was on public television for many, many years. And I think it might've been on like over the air uh, broadcast, this old house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I remember seeing that on the TV guide back in the day. Exactly. I I, I forget that I have several years on the two of you, but uh, I I was hey, on I a date. Bob Vila was. With... There you go. I had a yeah, I had a date around, with his right? his daughter. Uh, so shout out to Bob Vila's daughter. You're a, a very lovely person. <laughs> <clears throat> Not to well, knock your wife, Carl, but like you could have had father-in-law around to uh, fix your house all the time so oh no I, I mean my wife is is fantastic but I actually like the fact that my father-in-law a wonderful person that he is 
Uh, he knows his limits and <laughs> he knows, you know, he, he always says, I can make more money. I can't make more time. So I'm going to pay somebody to yeah. do it right the first time. Uh, and sometimes he pays me because <laughs> I, I, I am uh, somewhat handy around the house. Well, Jack, we, we are so happy to have you on the show as our third guest. We've been talking about this for a while, but you have been touring across the country. But now you're, you're back at your sort of home fair uh, just outside of uh, Boston. You're at the King Richards Fair in Carver, Massachusetts through the end of October? Yeah. Uh, well, through through late October. It ends October 21st, 22nd, whatever that weekend is. Okay. And well, also where we met that's 11 where, years ago. The 12. 12. Oh, that's right. It was 2011. 2011. That is <gasps> right. Yes. Uh, I, I still, to this day, I still, I tell everybody who'll listen uh, that I saw three of the finest performers. Uh, hey, Himbo. There's our dog. I saw three of the finest performers uh, that I still, to this day, have ever seen at that fair. And you were, you were one of them. So who were who the other two? Uh, Aaron, Aaron and Marion. Oh, yeah. They were fantastic. The Washingwell winches. Yeah. They were uh, quite ter- tremendous, and uh, I, was, I was honored to be in your presence. And I'm honored to be in your presence now as we continue on with this episode. So, Matt, Great take segue. it away with the news. That's my jam. Hey, our baseball news this week is brought to you by what Matt's drinking this week. I used to call it the beer of the week, but it hasn't been beer for a couple weeks. Uh, this week is Native Bourbon Hudson Valley Spontaneous Cider by Graft Cider out of Newburgh, New York. It's very good. Um, got that on a at a new place called The Hoptimist, also on the Upper West Side. So check out The Hoptimist, which is a great name for a beer bar. Uh, what's in the news this week, guys? Uh, season's over. <laughs> Thank God. That's it. Uh, well, forever. Uh, like 162 games, if you can believe it. Um, yeah, well, you know, last week we were teasing that there would be some uh, big dramatic finish in the AL West and, and the AL Wild Card. Didn't shake out how we thought at all, although probably should have assumed that the Astros would take the division, Seattle would be eliminated, Texas bumped down to a wild card spot. But you know what? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> so that's a little unhappy that the Astros are advancing, but that's what it is. And it's my turn to introduce the uh, put me in coach uh, playoff whiteboard thing. You can see here it's a visual uh, thing on an audio medium, as we can all see here. <laughs> but we'll post that online, and I'm going to try to update it uh, as as the playoffs progress and and uh keep you guys updated on this uh visual form of of playoff counting but uh so the, yeah we're we're in the postseason now as you're listening to this we'll already have had one day of wild card and uh by next week we'll be into the divisional series so what are your guys' takeaways on who who we're left with in this postseason well i look at i look at the american league and i'm shocked at how many teams there are to root for there like you look at aside from the astros because screw the astros yeah um i'm not sure how much i can i can, yeah hot take right there <laughs> um but like okay like how can you root against the minnesota twins how can you root against the rangers how can you root against the three teams that come from the al east um that had to fight it out in that that slog uh and i say that as a fan of a team from the al east like i would have i would be happy if any one of those teams won this year um, I do have a completely half-baked hot take that is based on absolutely nothing substantial about who's going to win the World Series, though. Please. That is, <laughs> it's going to be the Dodgers. Oh. Um, 
And the reason for that is, so in 1918, the Red Sox won the World Series. And shortly thereafter, they traded away their best player, a guy by the name of Babe Ruth. I'm familiar. And uh, the team that he got traded to went on to win the World Series in 1923. Flash forward 100 years. Red Sox win the World Series in 2018. And then they trade their best player, also plays right field, guy by the name of Mookie Betts. He gets traded to the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers already won in 2020, but I still think 1923, if the curse of the Betsino is a thing, and I really want it to be a thing, <laughs> 2023, Dodgers win the World Series, and the 21st century is just the year of the Dodgers, or the, the century of the Dodgers. I, I love that theory. Yeah. I, I, this is my first time even considering that. But we mm-hmm. love our conspiracy theories on this show. So, um, Can I say the thing that blew my mind that I learned today, completely unrelated to the postseason, but related to the Red Sox? Please do you guys do. know Ted Williams is cryogenically frozen? No, it's just his head is cryogenically frozen. <laughs> Did you guys we- know Ted Williams' weird. head is cryogenically frozen? It's so weird. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, um, no, I, I, my dad was a big fan of Ted Williams uh, back in the day, and... I remember growing up, he, I guess, I, I think I was 11 or 12 years old when Ted Williams died, and my dad was, like, telling me about this whole thing that was going, because Ted Williams really wanted to be cremated, mm-hmm. but for some reason his kids really wanted to to um, uh, have him cryogenically frozen, and so I guess the compromise was they just cryogenically froze his head, which is weird as shit. I was watching this show called How To With John Wilson, which is where I learned this, and they they go to a cryogenic complex the, the same place where ted williams is and his son and you kind of get the choice with whether you want head or body and some people just choose head some are like ah, so i gotta weird. have my body it's uh it's so weird. very bizarre uh how to with john wilson uh check that out on whatever they call hbo these days um <laughs> Moving on, uh, Luisa Reyes is the first player to win the batting title in both leagues in consecutive seasons. Last year with the Twins, this year with the Rays. He wasn't hitting 400 in the end of the season, but he still finished strong, and I think that that is awesome. Hot takes on Luisa Reyes? Nope. <laughs> I, I I wish. I mean, so like, I know a lot of the advanced stats don't don't. Uh, paint him as highly as he would have been, say, maybe like 20, 30 years ago. Um, but I'm all for it. Like, get get guys that make contact and don't just hit home runs. Uh, not, you know, not to sound like a cranky old man. Uh, but you got to have a little bit of that. Yeah. I don't think batting average is an entirely obsolete stat. No. And, Agreed. And you still get an award for it. So good for Louise. Um, some sad news out of Boston again. Uh, Red Sox legend and the last of the prolific knuckleballers, Tim Wakefield, died this weekend of brain cancer at 57. He ranks third in career wins in the Red Sox franchise history with 186 behind Cy Young and Roger Clemens, second in all-time wins at Fenway Park with 97, and is the all-time leader in innings pitched by a Red Sox pitcher with 3,006. Um, What a career. I I saw as a pitcher for the Mariners, I think it was Kirby, actually was throwing knuckleballs in his honor this weekend, mm. which I thought was really cool. And, um, you know, it's, uh, what a loss. He was 57 years old, and, uh, you know, those legends you always wish could continue on um, and, and stick around baseball world, but taken a little too soon, I think. Yeah, he stopped in at WBUR one time um, when I was there, and I kind of just passed him in the hall. And Tim Wakefield is not a guy that you think of you know, say like a, a Mark McGuire um, or a Randy Johnson where you think like, okay, that's a large man. Um, yeah. 
And I'm not a small man. I'm six foot one. And I was dwarfed by Tim Wakefield. <laughs> uh, and I was surprised by that. That's all I got on that. <laughs> I, I mean, I appreciate that. I, as, a, as a Red Sox fan... You're a Red Sox fan, right? No, I, I guess that. no you're no, not. No, exactly the opposite, which is why I'm very silent on Tim Wakefield. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. So you're from Boston, but you're No, a... no, I moved here. I, I grew up in New Jersey and New York. Gotcha. So, so. it would make you a Yankees fan. Yes. Ah, okay. Thankfully not a Mets fan. I chose wisely. Yeah, well... That makes one of us. I love the Mets. I love the <laughs> the Mets. The Mets are like the little brother to the Yankees. Like if you're a Yankee fan, you can't hate the Mets. Um, but way too many Yankee fans do hate the Mets for some reason. Like what? Why? <laughs> not to not to completely get us off topic. Here. Some people don't like their little brothers either. I guess. <laughs> I mean that's fair. <laughs> um, well, hey, speaking of the Mets and their misfortunes, uh, Buck Showalter was fired this week, or I guess asked to resign. But yeah. He was fired. Uh, same with Gabe Kapler uh, from the Giants. Kapler exits with a 295-248 record in four seasons, including a 107-win 2021. And Showalter was just there for two seasons, but he had a 175-148 record, including 101 wins last year, which really puts into perspective how bad their season was this year, yeah. I guess. Um Strongly suspected that with uh, David Stearns coming on as the president of baseball operations, he's fighting for regime change and will likely replace Showalter with Craig Consul, who's currently the manager of the Brewers. It strikes me as as a little too fast. Like, I know the Mets season was an absolute dumpster fire, um, but Showalter's, I think, always been a really underrated manager. Um, Just really solid at making teams perform better than they should present season obviously um notwithstanding um but i mean he got 100 wins out of the team last year um look at what he did with the orioles look at what he did with the yankees in the early 90s uh, the guy's got a great track record i wish i have been hoping that the yankees would rehire him as manager for several years now <laughs> oh, i think you're still stuck with um boone, uh, boone yeah I, I i don't think he's going anywhere yet <laughs> <laughs> nope Nope. He nope, hit that one home are, run that one time. He did hit that one home run <laughs> off of Tim Wakefield that one time. <laughs> and it all comes back around. It all comes, it all comes See, we're doing callbacks circle. already. Um, well, I, you know, it wouldn't be a, a Matt and Carl podcast if we didn't talk a little bit about the Tigers. And I do want to give some credit to uh, Tigers legend and triple crown king, Miguel Cabrera, who retired this weekend. With the final game of the season after a 20-year career with Miami and Detroit, he joins Willie Mays and Hank Aaron in the elite club of players with 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and over 300 career batting average. Cabrera will join the Tigers' front office next season as a special assistant to the baseball operations president, Scott Harris. Uh, It was so cool to see him play these last few games he's been on a tear the Tigers have been on a tear they've only lost one game in the last week um you know he he took the field near the end of of that final game first time he's been on the field since 2021 you know he's been riddled with injuries since at least 2015 so even seeing him put on a glove and walk out there was a feat uh, uh, in and of itself and then he ended up fielding a ground ball from Stephen Kwan who is not a slow person and he uh he it was an unassisted uh ground out to first base Miggy was able to uh tag him out and then he walked uh, straight over to the dugout because he was like that's it I'm out that's my curtain call <laughs> um yeah. he didn't have a glove so he asked our, a regular first baseman Spencer Torkelson for his backup glove Torkelson apparently doesn't have a backup glove uh so we just gave him his normal glove uh 
And then afterward, Miggy hands him the glove. It was such a beautiful passing of the torch moment. And uh, afterward, Cabrera signed it and Torkelson said, I'm never using this glove again. <laughs> so was but, that was that the last game of the year? Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, I was like, boy, that'd be real suck for Torkelson if he's got to go out and play with that glove the next <laughs> game. Nope, barehanded. Yeah. I, I was going to say, he didn't just sign it. He put, you know, 3,000 hit club, 500 home run club, 12-time all-star, triple crown. Just in crown case uh, Torkelson forgot who was yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, hey, man, uh, the great writer Mark Bernard always says, be humble, but let a motherfucker know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I agree. Uh, I mean, uh, Torkelson, too, had a lot of, of, of really complimentary things to say about Cabrera. Uh, there was an article, and we're going to link it in the, in the notes, of course, uh, from MLB, uh, all the 2023 Tigers had something very complimentary to say about Miggy, but Torkelson, I think, had the, the best thing to say, and this is a quote. There are many Miggy stories, but last year, pretty early in the year, I wasn't doing well. I was definitely struggling with confidence. I'd ask myself, do I belong in this league? It was definitely hard. And Miggy, at least once a week, would always come up to me and be like, you're good. You've been in this league for 20 years. I've seen it. You're going to be fine. You're going to be great. Trust it. Believe it. And at the time, I was still like, I don't know. But just having him tell me once a week for two months, dude, you're good. I promise. Your swing is good. Everything is good. Just hearing that from him, I think as time went on, I started to believe like Miggy wouldn't lie to me and just say that. <laughs> he believed in me and reminded me when I was at an all-time low that I'll be okay. And sure enough, the kid has been an enormous success story and, and has turned it around this year, I think in no small uh, part of Cabrera. So that's the, that's the, that's the last homestand of Miguel Cabrera. And it was, it was beautifully done in my opinion. Oh yeah. They had JK Simmons there to announce him. He, he, uh, did a voiceover for a nice tribute video. They interviewed Johnny Kane was interviewing him in the stands. And it was funny because JK would just stop him and be like, shut up. The ball game is going on. And <laughs> I thought he was going to go whiplash on him and like, just pull a symbol out of his back pocket and whip it at his head. <laughs> is J.K. Simmons a Tigers fan? He, yeah, he's from he's from the Metro Michigan Detroit area. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yep. That I know he, he pulls off the the New Yorker uh, newspaper editor so well, but <laughs> Michigan. Honestly, I can see like gruff Midwesterner. I know like Midwesterners don't have a reputation for being especially gruff, but like they exist. They are they are out there. There's a breed of Midwesterner that always wears shorts even in the winter. And I would yeah. put J.K. Simmons probably in that category. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, we also had a bunch of other retirements. Uh, Adam Wainwright, Zach Greinke, possibly Joey Votto. Nobody really knows if this is it for him. I did see that he's he's playing the narrator in uh, the SpongeBob musical at the local Cincinnati <laughs> Children's Theater. Wait, so. Yeah. What? So, yeah. I mean, is he going to be doing the, like, the 12 hours later? Yeah. It specifically said the French narrator. So, oh, my God. Uh, so go check out Joey Votto making his theater debut. Um, and, of course, Terry Francona, who we talked about last week, is uh, is officially done as manager of, of Cleveland. But not before somebody stole his scooter again. This time, they also seem to have pooped on it. What? <laughs> That's Ohio for you, I guess. Bunch of savages in that town. Wait, but he got so, it back. Uh, hang, hang on. I didn't know what, what kind of... Are we talking like a Razor scooter? Or are we talking a like Vespa scooter? Yeah, like a Vespa. I have questions about both. Uh, why Why is Terry Francona riding a Vespa around? I guess it's just his, his mode of transportation, either his... to and fro the stadium and throughout the stadium, too, to get to the, the clubhouse and everything. That's so weird. And I guess he just parks it nearby the clubhouse, and, and it was stolen uh, not too long ago, but ditched uh, close to the stadium, and they were able to recover it pretty fast. And uh, this time, kind of the same thing happened, but this time it was covered in feces. 
So one of my one of my old one of my teammates um, in baseball uh, has a story, a similar story, weirdly enough, uh, in Somerville, just north of Austin, where he had a he had a Vespa scooter that he would just park on the street right in front of his house. And he lived a block away from me uh, for a good long time. So I know the area. Super safe area. It's really it's really nice. You do not need to worry about going outside at night. Um but apparently someone took really decided they didn't like his his Vespa scooter and so they started doing um increasingly annoying things to it um <laughs> up to and including i think they broke two eggs on it like it wasn't like they smashed it the, like they took the time to like crack the egg and like you know, as if you were making a nice omelet at home, yeah. like open the two eggs on it. I think some they put dog poop on it at one time, which honestly seems worse than the eggs. Although uh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, I pick up dog poop every day, but if I had to pick up an egg with my bare hands, I'd, I might be a little more upset. I feel like that would take longer to wash out. Yeah, and it, and and speaking from experience, if if somebody eggs like your house or whatever, the worst part is the parts you aren't able to clean up cook in the sun yeah. and smell like shit. So. Which I guess shit also smells like shit. So, <laughs> hot takes. Uh, finally, uh, the final <laughs> news story of the season, and this is a good one. A Phillies fan attempted to bring in a service animal to the game last week, uh, which is not allowed. Don't bring your service animals to the game unless it's Bark in the Park Day. But especially not this service animal. The animal in question was an alligator. Uh, no, yeah, alligators are functionally dinosaurs, so don't do that. <laughs> Maybe maybe he was just trying to give the team some Gatorade. <laughs> Do you think that they're now cursed? Is it like a curse of the Bambino or a it, curse of the uh, Billy Goat the kind Billy of thing? Goat? Could be. It could be. So the someday they're going to start sacrificing alligators in Philadelphia. Oh God. <laughs> well, moving on now to our main topic of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about some snubs. I mean, it sound like more brutal than it is. Snubs. It happens every year. Somebody's uh, supposed to get an award, and then they don't because somebody else, uh, other other people voted that they deserved it. It's been one of those years, right, where like we kind of know it's Shohei Otani, it's Garrett Cole, it's Blake Snell, it's Ronald Acuna. They're like, everybody's been saying since July, those guys are getting the awards. And yet I look at a season that Mookie Betts has had and said, if Ronald Acuna didn't exist, this guy would win MVP. He's got, uh, I wrote it down here, he's got a higher war, he's played way more positions, more RBIs, more walks, generally more important to the success of the team than Acuna has been. And we're going to put aside that all the Braves are on steroids. Go back and listen to that episode if you're curious. Um, but that's our conspiracy theory about them. Let's take Ronald Acuna's stats on the surface. Very impressive season. Mookie Betts has had an, an even more impressive season, in my opinion. Uh, Acuna is probably still going to get the award. And that led us to kind of think, what are some other snubs that have happened in, in award history now that we might find out who's winning these awards this week? And so Carl did a, a ton of research and dug in and and kind of discovered some guys that, that never won awards that should have and definitely had seasons where they should have gotten it that particular year and somebody else got it. So, Carl... Take it away. Oh, man. I have been excited. So I, I did do a lot of research. Uh, that research is going to come at the end. Uh, but I also did uh, a lot of copy and pasting. Yeah, and that's what these first couple things hey, are. Hey, when you tell me I so, do all the research, that's what I do. <laughs> Don't discredit copy-paste. No, there, there's... 
nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I can't wait for you to see what I got for you guys later. So I found this great article uh, over on SB Nation. They compiled a list. And this is a fairly recent list. This was from last year. So they compiled a list of uh, it's an entire roster or not roster but lineup of guys at each position not including pitcher uh, which I'm guessing because pitchers very rarely win the MVP award but a guy at each position who has never won the MVP award despite uh, having some very excellent seasons so uh, we're just gonna go right down the line start right behind the plate catcher Mike Piazza had a lot of great seasons, won a handful of awards, but never won MVP. The best he ever did in an MVP race was second place, and he finished twice. He finished second place twice in consecutive years: once to Ken Caminiti in 1996, and once to Larry Walker in 1997. Hell of a catcher, but again, it's a it's a position that doesn't see a lot of offensive value, so it's very rare that catchers win MVP awards. So not really a surprise. Uh, that he tops the list there. But in Piazza's defense, he's probably the the most impressive offensive catcher. That makes it even more, I think, deserving of an award. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. You could also say Johnny. I feel yeah. like best offensive catcher, though, you know, like with with a catcher, you're you're not expecting great offensive numbers out of them. So for him to be a great offensive catcher means that he's still, you know, they're going to be people who put up bigger numbers um, just by, by virtue of they're true, not playing true. that kind of position. Um, and I, I feel like probably unjustly, um, you still get put on the same kind of level playing field of like, you know, Mike Piazza is going to be compared to Mark McGuire um, just in terms of numbers alone. Yeah. And if, you know, if Mark McGuire has got an extra 10 home runs and extra 20 RBIs, he's going to get the, the award. True. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Pudge Rodriguez, I think is probably, I well know Buster Posey was also a catcher who won MVP. Yeah. So it's not entirely unheard of. This one was really surprising though. First base, Eddie Murray, again, best he ever got was second. And he did that consecutive years, once in 1982, finishing second to Robin Yount. Uh, and then finishing second to teammate Cal Ripken uh, in 1983, which I believe is the year they they won the World Series. So hell of a year for the Orioles that year. Uh, second base. This is a sort of a, a a dead area. There's not. A, I mean, there aren't a lot of uh, MVP candidates that play second base. Uh, but they did come up with a, a a really good choice here in Robinson Cano, who managed to finish third uh, in 2010 behind Josh Hamilton. Doesn't shock me. Because, like, Robinson Cano was always consistently good. Uh, or, I'm sorry, consistently great, but never exceptional. Mm. Um, like, he would consistently give you 30 home runs, 300-plus batting average, 100-plus RBIs. Um, but he never had that, like, monster season a la, you know, Aaron Judge last year, 62 home runs. Um, he was just consistent. And he was also, he just wasn't much of a personality, so he didn't get a whole lot of press. I'm struggling to even remember what he looked like. <laughs> I can I can remember Cano was my favorite player on the Yankees for for a while, and I still his swing is still probably one of my favorites of all time. Oh yes, Robinson Cano. Now yeah. I remember. Oh, what a sad is he? He's still playing, yeah. right? He's somewhere think, out there. I think he was trying to play on the minors and then got cut. Yeah. Uh, he went to the Mets and his and his career derailed. <laughs> also steroids, but you know I I blame the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of guys who were just quietly and steadily consistent, Adrian Beltre, third baseman Adrian Beltre, 
Um, I, I, I recently described him on in a Reddit post as the sneakiest first ballot Hall of Famer ever, and it got an uh, alarming amount of upvotes. I was really surprised that that many people would agree on that. Uh, his highest finish in the MVP race was his second place finish in 2004. Of course, he had to go and have his best season or one of the best seasons of his career. Uh, he had a he accumulated a 9.6 B WAR. He hit 48 home runs and slashed 334. Uh, 388 and 629 uh, for those of our more casual fans that's a 334 batting average a 388 on base percentage and a 629 slugging percentage but of course he ran into the buzzsaw that was 2004 John Dowd uh, aka Barry Bonds who accumulated a <laughs> 10 that's a reference yeah, thank you. We've that's like the nineteenth time we've done that on the show. It's a ten point six B WAR, forty five home runs, a three sixty two batting average, six oh nine on six oh nine. He was on base sixty one percent of the time, an eight twelve slugging percentage, a record at one hundred and twenty intentional walks, and just an absolutely disgusting two sixty three OPS plus. For those of you who are not familiar with OPS plus one hundred OPS is on base plus slugging. And OPS plus is sort of like 100 is the average. That means he was 163% better than the average player that year. <laughs> Fucking insane. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I just, yeah, whenever no, I think of ridiculous. 2004 Barry Bonds, I just, yeah, my brain fritzes. Jack, I'm so sorry. Uh, shortstop, Derek Jeter. I'm still salty about what? this one. No way. Still, I remember, I remember, yeah. now, again, I remember uh, that happening. And I got more upset about it the next year, but I'll, I'll let you finish. And then I'll and then I'll go on my tangent. No, I I, I was just going to say we have three consecutive players here at, uh, in in Cano, Beltre, and Jeter who I think fell victim to just being. I I use the term the Tim Duncan of baseball. They were just really quietly, consistently good, and then at the end of their career, you go. Oh, shit. Now, Jeter didn't have that as much because he played in New York. But yeah. I think if Derek Jeter played in a much smaller media market, he, we would be having to sit like, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't realize Jeter was that good. But yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Jeter, I mean, it was it was I remember reading in it, it was towards the end of his career, but not quite the twilight of his career um, where they were talking about most overrated and underrated players. And they said Jeter is somehow both in that he is he is vastly overrated in terms of his defense but vastly underrated in terms of his offense. Um, and so the the Jeter, the 06 one, I mean, Morneau had a great season that year, but it was kind of the same thing of like, I didn't think it was that impressive. I think it was a little over 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. He was, the, the argument that sports writers made was he was pivotal in the Twins making the playoffs at all that year, and they're not wrong. Um, but then the next year, Dustin Pedroia won the MVP for Boston. Uh, and it like his stats were almost identical identical to Jeter's and I was like come on guys give it to give it to the Boston guy this this is back when I had this theory that ESPN was all secretly like a Boston uh <laughs> had, a bo- had a had a had a Boston-based bias wow and then a lot of the kids that I worked uh with in college went and went to go work in ESPN and I was like I, I knew it there all it along is. there it is <laughs> so, said the New York fan being upset about someone else getting too much press I know <laughs> <laughs> I was just impressed with your alliteration there. I am um, a Yankee fan, but I try to be a self-aware Yankee fan. Moving on, uh, left field, Manny Ramirez. Again, this is kind of an, a, another one that was a little surprising to me. His highest finish, he managed to get to third in the MVP balloting twice, once in 1999 when he lost to Ivan Rodriguez or lost out to Ivan Rodriguez. Uh, and then 2004 when he lost to Vlad Guerrero Sr., 
Yeah, Manny, I feel like was always always like the second or third best guy on his team or in the league. He was always uh, one of those guys where it's like, yeah, I definitely don't want to face him, but there was always some guy who was just having a monster year instead. Apparently, he's still playing. I, I had no idea about he's He's playing in the Australian <laughs> Baseball League yes. at 50 years old. Yeah, he just loves to play, man. Moving over to center field, this one was, uh, it hurt me because uh, if you grew up in the 80s and the early 90s, you were, no matter who you rooted for, you were a Kirby Puckett fan. And uh, Kirby Puckett uh, was another snub. The highest he ever finished was second in 1992 to Dennis Eckersley. And I think it's worth noting here that uh, as great as Eck was, he only tossed 80 innings that season uh, while Puckett played in 160 games. I throw that out there for no reason in particular, other than to say that that I, I think there was an era when I, and I think a lot of people don't, don't realize now when they talk about how people use pitchers, there was an era where relief pitchers were even more overvalued than they are these days. I guess what I find most interesting is a, a relief pitcher uh, winning the MVP. Never happened today. No, not at all. I mean, like, I think it was even a shock when Verlander won in, what was that, 2009? Um, yeah. Uh, 2011. Yeah, 2011. So you don't, you just don't see pitchers winning that award generally, or even even the conversation anymore. It has to be this combination of the pitcher had a ridiculous season, and no one offensively had a really standout season. True. And I was just saying this to Matt, and we're going to talk about this on a later episode. But 1984, Willie Hernandez with the Detroit Tigers was a relief pitcher. He appeared in 80 games that season, threw like 140 innings. He won the MVP the Cy Young, and was on the World Series champion. He's the only hmm. the third player in Major League history to do that. Uh, but that's another episode for another time. Uh, our oldest, or our most ancient, or be a furthest back uh, name on the list, Mel Ott, uh, which is a name that Tigers fans have kind of gotten familiar with over the last couple of weeks as uh, Miguel Cabrera chased Mel Ott on the home run leaderboards. Uh, Mel Ott, his highest finish was in 1942 uh, when he famously finished uh, in third to Mort Cooper. Uh, as everybody definitely remembers. Um, This was the toughest group uh, to gauge. Uh, The list of other right fielders on this uh, snubbed list includes Al Kaline, Gary Sheffield, Dave Winfield, Enos Slaughter, and Tony Gwynn, none of whom ever won uh, an MVP award, but uh, they gave Ott the edge in this one for uh, having a career war that was uh, 20 points higher than the next closest uh, dude on that list, and I, I did not look up who was next on that list. What I what I would put on this list, even he won one MVP, but that he only won one is is criminal, and it's Babe Ruth. Yeah, oh, only wow. one MVP yeah. in that career, um, and he, since he was also right field, that's what I'm saying. Okay, what well, that's wild to me. Has the yeah. MVP? I maybe <laughs> to back up to a history lesson. Yeah. Uh, you know, 20 minutes into the conversation, has the MVP been around? For as long as the league has, or the MVP award was first introduced in 1911. Uh, it used to be you were given, and uh, it was called the Chalmers Award, and you would win a car uh, that was made by Chalmers Motors. Sick. Um, but we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk, we're talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, and we're going to wrap up this portion of the list cause we got a, a quite a bit to, to get through. I think on the pitcher side, we might kind of blow through the top 10, but, uh, designated hitter, David Ortiz, uh, he's a designated hitter. He's probably not going to win the MVP award, but, uh, in that sort of ha- the halcyon days of the Red Sox, that Oh three to Oh five, three year 
uh, span. Uh, he was definitely one of the straws that stirred the drink, but he only managed to finish second to uh, Alex Rodriguez uh, in 2005. So there you go. There's a, an entire lineup of dudes uh, who were snubbed uh, from the MVP award. I would give Enos Slaughter an MVP award just for having the most badass baseball name I've ever also read. Also that. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that is an, an all-time name. Now, we, we don't want to exempt the pitchers. Uh, Bleacher Report, we have a, a pretty okay list of the 25 best pitchers to never win a Cy Young Award. Uh, my okay-based shade there is due to the fact that of the 25 picks and 17 honorable mention picks, not one of those spots belongs to Dave fucking Steeb. What the fuck? I, w- I would implore any of our listeners to go and... and, and I, have we linked it in the show before? Yes, but do it again. Uh, Secret Base... They have a series called Dorktown that did a five-part series about Dave Steeb and all of the close calls he had to having a no-hitter or a perfect game and all of the snubs that he had at Cy Young. And it was uh, five, six consecutive seasons where he really, really, really should have won it and didn't, um, including uh, once or twice to his teammate and my least favorite Tigers pitcher, Jack Morris. So, yeah, Dave Steeb probably is number one on this list in my heart. Um, but but the list, Carl, please. The list. Yeah, and like I said, it's 25. Um, I'm going to go through the top 10. Yeah. I'm just going to rattle off the top 10 real quick, and then we can kind of peruse the list because uh, I did a big homework assignment for, for our good friend Jack here, and I can't wait to, to reveal it. Number one on the list. No surprise, Mariano Rivera. Uh, the best he ever managed to do was uh, second in 2005. Mike Messina, number two. Mr. Almost. Uh, Messina almost almost got a no-hitter. Almost uh, Didn't get a 20-win season until uh, his last uh, season. Almost won a World Series a bunch of times. That's right. Um, he's just like, his, his career was like just always one step short of literally everything. Uh, Chris Sale at number four, and and one thing they made they mentioned when they brought up Chris Sale's name on this list was like it was insane. Right, Chris Sale right now is probably no surprise, but peak Chris Sale, it is kind of crazy uh, that he never managed to get uh, a Cy Young under his belt, and then. Adam Wainwright, Trevor Hoffman, another reliever, Madison Bumgarner, kind of a surprise. Kevin Brown, I think, is a wildly underrated pitcher from the 90s. Andy Pettit and Roy Oswalt, uh, Oswalt round out the top 10. Gentlemen, discuss while I wait for the delay to catch up. I think, yeah, I think I think you're you're right to just go through the top ten there because there's a big drop off after that. Um, I mean, like, sure, you you've got good pitchers up there and great pitchers even, um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm I don't think about the greatness of Jimmy Key very often, um, nor do I think about like, man, <laughs> you know. Um, David Wells really should have won a, a Cy Young at some point, or even Jared Weaver. And so it's like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, these are all good pitchers, pitchers that I would have liked to have on my team, but I, I'm not shocked that they didn't win a Cy Young. It's also guys like you, Darvish. Yeah. I think he's still got a career ahead of him where he could probably win one. I mean, we're talking about Blake Snell winning one this year on the same team. And How old is Darvish, though? I'm Googling it. 37. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's winning a World Series or uh, a Cy Young at this point. <laughs> Verlander won one last year. Uh, yeah, Verlander possible. is a freak of nature, <laughs> and true, true. I'm frustrated by his freak of natureness. And yet, he couldn't bring that to the Mets. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I would like to mention that they have Kevin Apier at number 24 on the list. Uh, It's worth noting here that Baseball Reference calls Apier, or Bleacher Report called him, quote, one of the most underrated pitchers of the 90s with his 54.5 B-War, but Dave Steeb and his 56.4 B-War are nowhere to be found on this list. Fix it, Bleacher Report. Is it Toronto bias? Because Steve uh, won a fucking World Series with them. I don't understand. I feel like a lot of those Toronto players just kind of get forgotten. Um, like, who is it? Tom Henke? Um, mm-hmm. I had never heard of um, yep. until MLB The Show a couple years ago when they released uh, a version of him. Yeah, Carl knows what I'm talking about. 100 Mile Henke. Yeah. All right. Now, this was the fun part. This was the homework. This goes back to a conversation that Jack and I uh, had back in our MLB The Show playing days, and that is, who is the best player to ever play Major League Baseball and never win an award? Now, for the intents and purposes of this, uh, we are counting Silver Sluggers, Gold Gloves, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and MVP. And I think you got it. You have to keep out um, relief pitchers uh, in this conversation because otherwise, the quick and easy answer is Mariano Rivera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are not including batting titles. We are not including all star nods. Sorry, Carl. No, it's totally okay. So, and I'm glad you said that. So this one was tricky, uh, and because these awards were introduced at different times, the MVP award was introduced in 1911. The Rookie of the Year was uh, uh, introduced in 1947. The Gold Glove wasn't introduced until 1957, wow. and for the first four years, it was only given to outfielders. Hmm. Yeah. I know, right? Uh, And then the Silver Slugger didn't show up until 1980. So join me, if you will, uh, to find uh, who is the best baseball player to never win any of these awards. And I shockingly didn't have to go far. Number three on the all-time list. And all I did was I basically took the list of all-time award leaders because it was the simplest way to determine who was the best, quote-unquote, and I just went down the list. Uh, Number three on the all-time list of war leaders is Cy Young, who never even won a Cy Young award. Um, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, He retired in 1911, the year that the MVP award was uh, introduced, and the Cy Young award wasn't introduced until 1956. Um, So he couldn't have possibly won it. I think they introduced it the year he died. Okay, technicalities aside, they didn't give him anything for being Cy Young? They gave him the lasting record of most career wins by a pitcher that will never be even 50%ed by anyone else. True. As Cy Young said, son, I lost more games than you'll ever pitch in. (laughs) That's so cool. Oh, Cy Young. Cy... It's stone fucking cold. Uh, Next up, Hannes Wagner. I thought, ooh, Hannes, he's 10th all-time in war, and he did spend a part of his career playing when the MVP award was a thing, but he never finished higher than third. Uh, To be fair, he was 37 years old when the award was introduced in 1911. He did get votes in the first three seasons, um, but he did not uh, win. So obviously, for the purposes of this conversation, I don't think it's fair to say that he is the best player to never win an award. So onwards, Grover Alexander, number 15 on the all-time war list, debuted in 1911 and garnered MVP votes in six of his 20 seasons, but never won the award. He was a pitcher, though, and since he wasn't named Walter Johnson or Lefty Grove, his chances of uh, winning those awards were rather slim. Again, I don't like that he was a pitcher and it was so far back, so I kept digging because I wanted to see how much further we could go. And then I got to Mel Ott, 
who's 20th all-time in war but never won the MVP award, as discussed earlier. However, he did play at a time when the Silver Slugger, the Gold Glove, and the Rookie of the Year award didn't exist. Do you think, to, to slightly interrupt now that we're introducing more and more awards into the timeline, do you think back in like the 30s and 40s, ballplayers were like, back in my day, we were handing out participation trophies like the Silver Slugger and the Gold Glove. <laughs> oh God! I hope not. <laughs> I also, for me, like I didn't realize Carl was going to go this far into the into the weeds. Like I think I think when I first posed this question to Carl several years ago, I was like, "Let's put like post nineteen fifty, just to like give it some like." So you're not counting the guys in the eighteen hundreds before the MVP even existed. That said, it is it is fun to look back. At That's that. fair, but uh, that was before I had a podcast. So now I have to go further because uh, <laughs> I have to uh, do the the proper work here. Uh, Eddie Matthews could possibly have a claim as the best player to never win an award. He played from 1952 to 1968, so he did have a chance to win the Rookie of the Year, the MVP, or a Gold Glove. Uh, he finished third in the 1952 Rookie of the Year voting to Joe Black. Uh, he never won an, a Gold Glove, and he fell short on the MVP award uh, several times, garnering votes in nine seasons and managing to finish second twice. He did, however, manage to end his career with the Detroit Tigers. He last played with the Detroit Tigers in 1968, the year they beat the St. Louis Cardinals uh, for the World Series title that year. Sweet. So, Eddie Matthews, end of story? Hard no. <laughs> I got to Phil Necro, number 35 on the list, and was confident that I had found an answer. But no, the legendary knuckleballer snagged four gold gloves between 1978 and 1983, the bastard. So then I kept going, and then I came upon Burt Blylevin. And this is where we have a line of demarcation. He is 38th all-time on the career war list. He played from 1972 to 1992, and during that time, he got Cy Young votes four times never finished higher than third, and he got MVP votes twice, finishing 13th and 26th. And just in case, no, Nolan Ryan is not going to show up on this list. Burt Blylevin outpaces Nolan Ryan in war 94.5 to 81.3, just in case anybody's wondering what I think about Nolan Ryan, which is uh, that he is overrated, unless I'm playing MLB The Show, in which case he can kiss every inch of my ass. Yeah, hard hard agree on, on, on the Nolan Nolan hot take. He was in that good fight, though, that we covered in the fight. He was episode. A, that one of the best base brawls of all time. Beat the crap out of Robin Ventura. Yes. Go back to our fight episode and listen to that one where we talk about that. And I tell the story about how it inspired me to beat up a friend of mine. Um, I got close. I got closer at number 90 on the list. Jim Tomey. But alas, Large James won his only silver slugger in 1996, which blew my mind because that was very early in his career. Uh, and he between 2001 and 2004, he averaged 48 home runs a season in those five years and still did not manage to win a silver slugger award. Huh. Wow. That's a head scratcher because that's that's Jim Tomey. Like, yeah, but he, yeah. you know what it was? He was playing first base in the 90s. Oh, was oh, it? Oh, yeah. And is it the same kind of bias as we talked about? Like, no, I would no. There's just so many other guys to compete with. You got McGuire, you got Frank Thomas, um, you had Mo Vaughn in the early '90s. Uh, I'm trying to think. You had Tino Martinez there for a few years. Um, Jason Giambi, uh, Palmero. Yeah, Palmero. You had, you just had so many good first basemen in that time uh, that it was kind of it was almost expected that like oh you play first base well you better hit 40 home runs and hit at least 120 rbis every season maybe we'll get back to those days oh, we got a lot that. of meaty meaty that. first basemen i think are, are making a big comeback these days so 
And so I dug on. And I got really close when I got to Sal Bando at number 176 on the list and Daryl Evans at number 207 on the list. Now, Sal Bando retired after the 1981 season, so he didn't really have a chance at the Silver Slugger. And Daryl Evans played the first half of his career without the opportunity to win the Silver Slugger Award. So... I kept going because I wanted somebody who played in an era where all of the awards were available to them. And I found that person. I found that person at number 229 on the list with a 53, or excuse me, 56.3 career war. Now I've, I've got it in the script as redacted. I've been teasing you guys with it. <laughs> yeah. This guy made his debut in 1995. <laughs> He accumulated 56.3 war in 18 seasons, and despite some excellent seasons, he only managed to snag MVP votes in four seasons, finishing 19th in 2000, 16th in 2004, 13th in 2005, and 15th in 2006. Does anybody want to take a guess? I want to, I want to try and suss this out. Um, so started in 95, but apparently had his best years in the mid-2000s, it looks like. Um, hmm. Matt, do you have any ideas? I am infamously bad at the Immaculate Grid, so uh, naming players based on their stats alone, <laughs> it ain't my skill. Um, but uh, can I can I ask how many how many teams he played for? Yes, you can. I know that he played for at least four. Uh, let me double check here. I will say that the last team that he played for was the Savannah Bananas. Oh, if anybody wants to take a shot at that one. Johnny Damon. Johnny fucking Damon. Johnny Damon played 18 seasons, never won a silver slugger, never won a gold glove. As soon as, as, soon as you said Savannah Bananas, I knew it. <laughs> he never won a gold glove or even a silver slugger. So like, No, he was a two-time All-Star. Yeah. Wow. All right, that's that's let me I'm I'm looking up his stats now. Yeah, he was up and down where I mean like he had seasons where he was like 04 Red Sox, 304, how many home runs? 20 home runs. Um but yeah, only hit over 300 one, two, three seasons, four seasons, three hmm. or four seasons. Four seasons he hit over 300. Um and I they do line up with those MVP votes for the most part. I do not remember him playing for the Tigers at all. And he played a full season. You don't? Only missed 20 games. I don't remember that season. I had to have been there. 2010. Wow. I was alive. I was cognizant of the Tigers. You know what? I think I, I, I get him and Johnny Peralta and their Tigers eras confused a lot. But I remember him coming straight from the Yankees to the Tigers and usually it went the other way around. Yeah, that is you. You put far more effort into this than than I did. My my pick was going to be Paul O'Neill, uh, but that was literally just me going based on like, okay, who are great players that I can remember that definitely never won anything. Uh, Paul O'Neill was at thirty nine WAR. So let me see where he ranks on the all time records, which is probably in like the five hundreds. Uh, yeah, pretty far it is down there. Five seventy six. So you know, only only three hundred spots past your your guy. So uh, yeah, I think we can safely say that. <laughs> uh, but he had a stretch in the nineties, which is kind of when I got into baseball, uh, which is why it was in my brain where it was four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. Uh, if my counting is correct, six or seven years in a row, hit over three hundred, won a batting title in that time. Uh, Placed fifth in the MVP voting in 94, which surprised me, um, but remarkably consistent. Generally about 20 home runs a season, a little, um, 
at least 300, sometimes as high as 359. Uh, decent, decent defense, but nothing ridiculous. You know, he was never rangy. I have a question that puts yeah. this into perspective. Now, Johnny Damon's been on two World Series teams. Is that not the ultimate award? In baseball, when you really break it down, it is. But like, I don't count. That's a. I mean, you can be the best best player ever, and you know, not get anything related to the World Series. I would point to two people on a Southern California team at the moment, right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Tony Gwynn never won one. What the fuck, Tony Gwynn? I'm just learning so many uh, crimes against the baseball world today. I can't believe Jeter never won an MVP. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jeter. I mean, Jeter never, he never hit home runs, and he was playing during the steroid era where home runs were oh. necessity. He had one year where he hit almost 30, uh, but he, otherwise it was generally somewhere between 10 and 20. He year. was also next to a prolific He was uh, also not the best shortstop else. on his own team. Yeah. <laughs> um, And that is... The ultimate snubs of of all time, and uh, I think we've learned a lot. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for for doing all that research, and Jack, thank you so much for joining us this week on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's go, literally anyone in the AL who's not the Houston Astros in the playoffs, and let's go a few select teams in the National League. I know you're you you have your Dodgers uh, end game theory. Are you pulling for the Dodgers? Is there another NL team you're pulling for? I, I don't hate the Dodgers. I mean, I play for the Dodgers in my baseball league, so like that has given me some affinity for them. Um, if I'm looking at the National League, the my general rooting interest is who has the fewest World Series wins in my lifetime. Yeah. Because um, there are a lot of Yankee fans who like to be like, oh, we got 27 World Series. Like, all right, whatever. You weren't alive in 1927. Um, yeah, exactly. So for me, I've been alive for five Yankees World Series. Um, and I would like it so that no no team surpasses that in my lifetime because that's a nice bragging right that I like. Um, and there are a couple teams that are close. So I generally root for whatever team has the fewest World Series wins. So if I'm looking at the National League side, I'm going Milwaukee Brewers first. Um, and then really Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Phillies, and Braves. Are, or uh, No, not Braves. Uh, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Phillies are all tied at one. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I probably have the same kind of criteria i'd probably go i wish uh milwaukee and arizona weren't playing each other in the first round but yes that's what they get for not winning as many games that's what they get i mean like of of those of those teams that all have won i'm gonna be honest arizona is definitely at the bottom of my list in terms of teams that i would i would want to win still a little salty about 2001 yeah fair fair (laughs) um carl how about you who are you pulling for this this postseason i I, I was just going to say, I'm looking at the bracket right now, um, and I like anything that's going to piss Rob Manfred off. Um, so <laughs> I really want to see Baltimore there. Yes. Uh, I, I want Baltimore in it, and I want Philadelphia. I want Baltimore and Philadelphia in the World Series. I don't care which one of them wins oh, it. I think that Philadelphia so is a team that should not work, right? it would should, Philadelphia should not work, and Baltimore is this young you know, scrappy team. They, they've they've overcome so much. They've gone from 100 losses to 100 wins. Kyle Schwarber hit almost 50 home runs and was below the Mendoza line. And their lineup is, oops, all designated hitters, but it somehow fucking works. <laughs> and I want it. So I want Baltimore and Philly, and I don't care who wins. I, I mean, if, you're, if you want to piss off Rob, Man, Rob Manfred, 
Wouldn't the best option be something like Milwaukee? I'm thinking like small market teams, Milwaukee, Minnesota. And I'll tell you why that's the best option. Midwest in November. And one of those stadiums does not have a roof. (laughs) Yes, let's go. That's my preferred World Series this year. (laughs) Ope, let's go. Well, let's 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 take it home. We've got everything. Jack, you are currently performing at the King Richard's Fair in Carver, Massachusetts. Where will you be the rest of the year? Uh, all over the place. So uh, best place to find my schedule, it is at jackthewhipper.com or jacklepiars.com or jacksewhipper.com. You can follow me on follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, Cameo, Patreon, uh, literally all the platforms except for one. I'm not on MySpace. And uh, <laughs> there's also a, uh, a quick plug, if I may. We're launching the Jaxi Whipper plushie this Friday, October 6th. Uh, get your own Jaxi Whipper plush, courtesy of U2s. Uh, they'll be only available for about five weeks, so October 6th to November 10th. Uh, get them before they sell out. Well, before they're no longer available. I know we're closing on another visual medium, but that was the cutest thing you ever just brought in the frame right there. That was awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Check it out in our I'm links. Definitely, I'm definitely going to get at least one. Uh, we'll have all those plugs in uh, the episode notes. Um, as for me and Carl, you can check us out. Uh, you know, you'll hear the plugs at the end of the episode. And join us next week for yet another episode of Put Me in Coach, the only baseball podcast. There's the no others. Stop looking for them. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback, edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. the first ground ball, the first ball put in play to make the out at first, and that's it!